RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Two years ago, the LSU Tigers were on their way, marching towards an undefeated season, a national championship, and a year that netted in the Heisman and nearly every other award known to mankind, including a big old couch for the offensive line. And Ed Orgeron was on top of the world. Fast forward two years later, and things have fallen apart. Ed Orgeron and LSU will be parting ways at the end of the season. The team is a bit of a mess. Different coaches haven't helped. And the team is now on bye, and they're so banged up that they can't even hold their scrimmage before taking on Alabama next week. To give us his thoughts on how LSU got here, where do they go from here, who could be the possible man to lead the Tigers in the future, and so much more, is a man that knows this team better than most. From Sports Illustrated Now, the LSU reporter himself, Mr. Glenn West, joins us here on the Rap Game Podcast. Glenn, good day to you, my friend. How you doing, bud? I'm I'm doing great. I think much like LSU, I'm kind of taking this week to recalibrate a little bit. You know, taking it easy. Um, but you know, things are certainly picking up as as you would expect during a coaching search. So uh, it's it's been a it's been a hectic last couple of weeks. We're just trying to you know recalibrate a little bit before the final stretch here. Yeah, because you're going to need it, bud. Because it's going to be it's going to be four <laughs> weeks of just absolute insanity, and then uh, a coaching hire done probably within a few weeks after the completion of the season. Let, let's go back, Glenn. Uh, if I would have told you inside the press box there at Tiger Stadium a couple years ago, where we met each other numerous times, and I said, "Hey, bud, in two years from now, Coach Ed O is going to be fired," essentially. And this team is going to struggle to become bowl eligible. Would you have told me that I was absolutely crazy? I I think so, and you know I think that's you know probably the case for a number of reasons. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about really in, in recent weeks is just kind of you know if if we had gone back two years and someone had told me that you know Will Wade would last longer than Ed Orgeron, um, I, I would have thought that person was crazy too. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that really that this all stems from uh, obviously having just the, the perfect amalgamation of talent, of coaching uh, two years ago to just struggling to replicate that. You know, that's been kind of the message that has been, you know, kind of passed down to media and to fans is, oh, we're going to recreate 2019. We're going to try to do all these different things to – to get it as close as, as possible to what that was two years ago. And you just can't recreate that. I mean, that was just such a magical season. That was uh, really, I think, a, you know, just caught lightning in a bottle kind of a deal there. You can go back to, you know, Auburn 2011. You can go back to some of those early Miami teams and how uh, those early 2000 Miami teams and just how much that program has struggled over the last 20 years. Um, it's, it's impossible to just recreate something like that. I mean, you look at, some of these guys that are kind of coming through the NFL now. I mean, Burrow looks on his way to superstardom. Jamar Chase looks like a superstar. Jefferson looks like a superstar. Um, you know, they, they, there's just so much of this, you know, 2019 team that, you know, I don't think you can – it's just almost impossible to try to recreate it. And so, um, you know, I think that there's, that there's certainly a lot of different ways this has gone wrong, which I'm sure we'll get into here in the next couple of minutes. But uh, I think just – you know the, the the whole philosophy of 
you know, we can recreate this and we can, you know, continue to have this sustainable success by trying to, you know, re reimage the 2019 team. I think that was probably maybe the biggest flaw, um, you know, of all over the last couple of years. Did we undervalue just how important Dave Aranda was to this staff? I think so. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very good point. Um, Aranda was somebody who, you know, no matter what the situation was, he was always, you know, kind of mellow yellow, stone cold, you know, just, you know, kind of, I think he was kind of the guy that, you know, could kind of handle anything that was thrown at him in terms of just, uh, you know, adjustments on the field in terms of players. And, uh, you know, he just seems to have a very calming demeanor about him. But at the same time, he has, you know, kind of that, that stone cold, you know, coaching strategy kind of, kind of feel to him that, you know, I think really resonated with the players. And I think he was able to make most of his players better. Um, he was able to relate to a lot of the players. He was a younger coach, a guy who understood scheme, a guy who understood putting players in the best positions to be successful. And uh, that's something that, you know, we've seen over the last two years just hasn't translated uh, to the last two coaching staffs, um, really on both sides of the ball. But, um, yeah, I, I would agree. You know, Aranda's departure uh, was certainly one of those things that uh, I think threw a monkey wrench in the program and uh, was just because you, you kind of lost that calming stability uh, that, you, that, that, he would, that he had been so kind of well-known for over the previous four or five years. Also, the thing that stands out to me, Glenn, with what's happened at LSU is the bad hires. And Coach O, you know, admits that he didn't even interview Scott Linehan and Bo Pelini, which was kind of a revelation. I was just like, oh, oh, goodness, no, no, you didn't. No, you, you can't tell me you did that. I mean, yeah. he says he was kind of forced to hire someone like Matt Canada, but that didn't work out. He hired Bo Pelini last year. That was a train wreck. He hired Scott Linehan. He was not much better. And the coordinators this year aren't really working out all that well either. They're both struggling. They're young. They're first-year coordinators, so to defend them in that way. But it's been bad hire after bad hire, and I know so much value was put on Joe Brady. But as we know, Steve Insmayer is the one that brought Joe Brady to Ed O and said, this is the guy that you should hire. Like, that was Slinger saying, hey, this is a guy that we should probably add to the staff. Uh, how much of this downfall of LSU comes to Ed O's decision-making when it comes to putting together a staff? Yeah, I think if you're looking on the field, that, that has been the most glaring weakness in terms of just development, in terms of scheme, in terms of just players being in the right mindset. It's been pretty eye-opening just kind of over the last couple of years just how, how wrong this has gone from a coaching hiring perspective. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. 2019, you know, that, that, that Brady hire was, yeah, I think, uh, very undervalued at the very start of the season. Um, but really by Texas, you really got to see uh, just, just how important and how valuable his mind was for Steve Ensminger, how, how those two worked well off, off of one another, um, that, that, that relationship, I think, was so important to the offense being just how dominant it was um, back in 2019. And they haven't been able to replicate that at all. Um, uh, you, know, you start last year with, with Ensminger as the, as the OC. It really struck, it really looked like he had some, 
some struggles there um, just in terms of trying to you know, keep keep that offense the way that it was, but it was just so hard to keep that offense the way that it was because you didn't have those kind of dynamic playmakers that you were expecting to have. I mean, look at what happens before the 2020 season. You had Jamar Chase opt out. You have uh, a, a number of, of, of key players leave your program. Uh, you have, obviously, a, a tight end in Eric Gilbert who – you know, mid-season, you know, decides to opt out. You have uh, uh, Terrace Marshall opt out after five games. I mean, those were those were three pieces right there that were supposed to be huge parts of your offense. Uh, you have Miles Brennan break his arm, and or uh, no, sorry, he had the the stomach injury, uh, the abdomen injury that that, that kind of wipes him out three games in. Um, there's there was just so much that kind of went wrong for LSU at the very start of the season that year. Um, that it, it, it just felt like the, I don't know, they just lost some of their kind of momentum. You know, they, they built up so much momentum during that offseason. I think a lot of people were cautiously optimistic about that 2020 season, and it just really just kind of went, went, went down the, went down the, the toilet wrong uh, right from the start. And so, well, I'm glad you brought uh, that up, sure. Glenn, because there's something about yeah. that, and I want to get your perspective on someone who covers this team. It, they have the, the social justice issue where the players are all about that and they want to do something about it. And I don't know, it just seems like, did O lose the team after that, after not kind of taking that seriously and then having to have a meeting with Scott Woodward with the team? Because it was a few days after that, you know, dust up, Jamar Chase, who decided to wear number seven, says, I'm going to opt out. And Tyler Shelvin decides, yeah. I'm going to opt out. Did he lose the team? In that moment, I, I think yeah, I think that's certainly where it started. That's that's where all the downturns started. You know, when he went on, when he went on Fox News and kind of publicly endorsed, you know, uh, President Trump uh, with the comments that he made on that interview, it, it rubbed a lot of players in that locker room um, the wrong way. And uh, I think that was certainly the start of a downturn for for the program. Um, the some of the stories that we heard coming out of the locker room were were pretty uh, you know, distasteful in terms of just the way that the, the players were not you know, responding to the coaching staff. They were kind of tuning them out a little bit. Um, we had obviously the, 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 the big, you know, the social um, injustice protests here on campus where all the athletes came together and where the football team marched throughout the campus. And, you know, the, the lead man wasn't there for it. And I think that was pretty glaring as to just kind of the state of where that locker room was, uh, I mean, really right before the season. I mean, this happened a couple weeks before the season, and, um, you know, it, it took, you know, obviously a couple days there for everybody to kind of have calmer heads and for, you know, Coach O to kind of, you know, kind of try to rally the team. But, um, you know, when you're coming off a pandemic where you're not with your team as much, when you're coming off of uh, obviously some of, the, some of the things that happened during the offseason – it, it was really tough, I think, on that locker room to really fully trust uh, the, the coaching staff in, in, in 2020. And I think that was certainly uh, a big reason for the downturn that that season took so quickly. Let me ask you this, and I thought this as well, Glenn. Did O just take too many victory laps? And what I mean by that is, did he just go and just, you know, too many interviews, too many uh, times being slapped on the back, said, hey, great job, you're the best, you're the greatest, you know, doing the books, doing the interviews, doing the national stuff. 
did he just do too much of that and not get right back to the grind like maybe he should have? Yeah, I think you could certainly make that argument. Um, look, I mean, the, the, the what what was the message that we heard throughout that entire 2019 season? You know, when, when LSU doesn't have success, you put it on Coach O, and he wants that, that blame. But when they have success, you put it on the players. And, um, you know, that was his kind of consistent message throughout that season. And once that, you know, kind of off season and everything kind of settled in, um, it, it, it just seems impossible. And I think, the, you know, kind of the media is a little bit to blame for it. I mean, just the, the constant asking of him about that season and the constant interviews, the constant, uh, you know, just kind of recollections of how magical that year was. I mean, it's almost impossible for some of that stuff not to go to your head, right? I mean, That's fair. Uh, this is a guy who had been much maligned, you know, throughout his coaching career as, you know, more of a motivator than an actual coach. Um, and, and when you're hearing all this positivity around you and around the, the structure that you were able to build for those two years, um, I, I have to imagine that, it, that it's, 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 it's nice to hear. And, um, you know, he, he certainly took advantage of that during that offseason. Um, you know, as far as, you know, was he not putting as much effort into preparing for the season, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case because, look, most of that offseason, we didn't know if there was going to be a college football season. Um, you know, the, the, the pandemic was, you know, right in the middle there during that summer. I remember I was just stressing uh, for things to write about, for things to talk about. I'm sure you guys were on radio as well. Um, you know, it seemed like every other day there was a, you know, a negative article coming out about, you know, why we shouldn't do a college football season. And um, I think that, you know, as that kind of likelihood kind of, you know, pushed its way into the summer and out of the spring with all these players that weren't around the the, the, the building and all these coaches that were having to stay at home, um, you have a lot of time to think and you have a lot of time to kind of process just what had gone on during that 2019 year. And uh, I think certainly that, they, that you can make that argument that you know he was uh, maybe just a little bit more um, relaxed heading into that 2020 season and not uh, as much on the grindstone that you, you would hope for a coach coming off a national championship. Okay, here we are. 2021 and things have not gone the right way what's been the biggest thing on the field uh, take away the coaching and the youthful coordinators take away the distraction of oh not uh, vetting the candidates as much as he should and everything like that we still expected this team to be better this year uh what's the biggest thing that's holding this team back is it the defense or is it the offensive line in your opinion glenn uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hate to pile on to these guys because, you know, you really get the, the feeling that they're trying. But, you know, I, I just kind of go back to the offensive line and just the struggles that, you know, have been really glaring from, from week one. Um, you know, this was a group that, you know, everybody came back and everybody was excited that they came back. Um, you know, it really seemed like there was going to be a full year, a full offseason of development for them to build that chemistry up to come in and, and hopefully kind of have that, you know, that spark that that 2019 offensive line had, and they just haven't been able to come close to, 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 to filling their, fulfilling their potential. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. I think that um, obviously development is part of it, but, you know, bringing in a new O-line coach and learning his new scheme and the way he likes to coach, um, when you do that in, you know, the end of June or early part of July, uh, it's, it's really hard to kind of pick that up and, and really kind of, uh, have faith in what you're doing uh, from an offensive line perspective, and 
that that certainly trickled into the offense. It certainly trickled into the you know lack of inconsistent run game. Uh, that's you know contributed to I think some of Max Johnson's play. Uh, not all of his play, but you know he's certainly I think he's been a little trigger happy with the ball in terms of just you know trying to make something happen when it's not there because the, the you know the line's breaking down. You know he's been scrambling out of the pocket. Uh, a lot this year, I think a lot more than people expected, um, and it's just it hasn't it just it's never really looked fluid. You know, I think the closest that this offensive fluidity you know kind of looked was that Florida game, and they were just pounding Florida with the run game. I mean, there was really uh, really nothing Florida was doing that, that LSU couldn't have success with, and you know, I, I, I they just they just kind of looked clunky all season on offense and. I think that's been a major reason. I think injuries have certainly played a huge role into some of the defensive inconsistencies you've seen uh, throughout the year. Uh, it really looked like the defense was taking a turn uh, for the better uh, right before SEC play, and then you lose Derek Stingley one week, you lose Elias Ricks, you lose Andre Anthony, you lose Ali Gay. I mean, those are arguably your, your four best defensive players when they're off the field you know, two weeks into SEC play. And so that, that, that was you know, I think a, a huge hit for the defense to lose those guys. And so uh, I think that's why you've seen some of the inconsistency from the defense. But uh, I, I certainly come back to the offensive line and, and some of the struggles those guys have had uh, as to why this, this team hasn't really been clicking on all cylinders so far. You know, you saw great progress against Florida, and they got amped up for that game. Uh, and even yeah. with not a sold-out crowd, they, they still played well. And then they turn mm-hmm. around and – after that first drive, they kind of lay an egg against Ole Miss. With only four games left, and those are against Alabama and then Arkansas and then a scrappy ULM team. Terry Bowden's done a nice job there. And then they close out with Jimbo Fisher, who's feeling really good about himself for finally beating Alabama. The Aggies will be who the Tigers have to wrap up the season with. Glenn, do you expect this team, based on what you've seen so far, to do enough to become bowl eligible? Uh, that's, that's a very good question. I, I do think that there's enough in this team just based off of which which one will show up. I mean, very much so, like Arkansas in recent weeks, which which LSU team is going to show up to, you know, over the next you know three or four weeks here uh, is going to be very interesting for me to see. I mean, you got a lot of guys injured right now. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a prime opportunity for a lot of young players to kind of cut their teeth in SEC play, kind of get some extra experience in there. And uh, I think you could certainly see the energy level, you know, continue to increase here over the last couple weeks just from, you know, some guys maybe not having that opportunity that now have it. So, um, you know, if they can get some energy guys, they can get some energy plays, um, you know, trot out a bunch of different players here over the next couple weeks, I could certainly see a scenario where LSU finishes 6-6. and uh, I don't expect them to go much higher than six and six. I'd be a little surprised if they got to seven wins. Um, but I, I do think six and six is certainly a, a reasonable goal. Uh, obviously, I don't think many people have many expectations for this Bama game, uh, particularly with the number of injuries LSU has right now. Um, but you know, Arkansas, ULM, A and M. I think you can win two of those three games and kind of get yourself into the bowl eligibility uh, conversation for sure. Let me ask you some questions about a few players. Are we going to see Derek Stingley Jr. wear the purple and gold this season, 
or is he done and headed to the NFL? Yeah, I mean, the message we've gotten from Stingley and his father is that they're working hard to get back on the field. Um, but that was over a month ago. And, and you know, I, I think just the way that this season is playing out, I would be shocked if we saw Derek Stingley play again at LSU. I, I really believe his time is, is over. It's time for him to move on to the NFL where he'll more than likely be a top five draft pick in a year. Um, you know, he, he, it was, you know, it was, it was one of those kind of careers that started so strong. And then the last couple of years have been kind of just, um, you know, defined by injury and defined by just not being able to be on the field as much, which is unfortunate because I think he's certainly, from a talent perspective, been one of the, the, the most talented cornerbacks this team has ever had. Uh, and that's saying something, con- you know, considering the, the, the guys that they've trotted in and out of the program. Um, it would have been great to see him wear number seven a few, a little more than three or four times this year. Uh, but, I, but I would have to assume that, you know, especially the way this season has gone recently, uh, it, it would be pretty shocking for me to, to, to see Stingley back out there again this year. And, Bud, that number seven, they, they may need to retire that little tradition for a little while because it's not really gone well the last few years where you have one guy really give it not. up and then the next guy uh, you know, decides to opt out before the start of the season. And now we got Stingley, yeah. and it's uh, he's been banged up and is not really going to play. It may be time to have number seven. Just rest on that tradition for a few years. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, just looking at next, looking ahead to next year, I guess the obvious choice would be Keishawn Butte. Um, but you know, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would be kind of right there with you. Uh, we'll see if the next coach carries this tradition, but uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with uh, you know retiring it just for a few <laughs> years, just to kind of let the dust settle for sure. You know, this team is in uh, transition. They're going to be having a new coach, and I'll, I'll pick your brain about that here uh, shortly, Glenn. But they do have some young talent, and the guys that really stand out to me are true freshmen or guys who are considered essentially a redshirt freshman that played last year. I'm talking about Max Johnson. I'm talking about Kayshawn Butte, who's from right down the road, went to Westgate High School. And then some other guys from Acadiana region have really stepped up and been bright spots. Malik Neighbors got his first touchdown catch against Ole Miss, the former Como High star, and Jack Besh, former STM Cougar. He has been extremely reliable in that kind of hybrid wide receiver tight end position they have. Just how impressive have the young guys been on this team starting last year at the end of the year with Johnson and Butte through this year? Yeah, I mean, that's what makes this job, I think, so attractive is that, you know, the coach that walks in here you know, barring some massive, you know, roster overhaul where everybody enters the transfer portal, you're going to be walking into a situation with a lot of talent. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's why this job is so, you know, entertaining and so attractive for a lot of, for a lot of coaches who, you know, want to make that next step. And uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, some of, some of the play for some of these younger guys, I mean, Max Johnson, like you mentioned, I thought Garrett Nussmeyer looked really good. Uh, in his you know fourth quarter action last week against Ole Miss, leading two scoring drives, um, Jack Bash I think has just been a, a rock star all season. He's I think a, a really a future you know, All SEC potentially All American kind of tight end that, that that really can do it all for you. Um, I, I would be uh, you know you know, remiss without mentioning Deion Smith and Brian Thomas and obviously Malik Neighbors. I think all three of those guys have shown they can be huge parts of this offense moving forward. Um, you know, I, I, I would I would throw obviously Keishon Butte in there and and Chris Hilton as well, who we didn't have haven't been able to see as much because he's been injured. Um, 
But the, the, the talent that exists, particularly on the offensive end, I think is extremely attractive for, for a number of coaches out there who are being considered for this job. Um, you know, defensively, you have obviously Mason Smith, the cornerstone to build around. Um, you know, there, there's some young talent like Dwight McLaughlin that we've seen really kind of break onto the scene. Uh, Jay Ward's had a really nice season when he's been healthy. Um, uh, there's 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 some pieces to build around for sure. I, I would feel more comfortable about the offense uh, if if we had some kind of you know stability with the offensive line. Um, but you know, I, I think at the same time, there's 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 a lot of promising plate pieces in place here uh, to kind of get back on on the right track rather quickly uh, if you find the right guy and you you get the right coaches to kind of fill in behind them. Glenn. A lot of names have been uh, thrown out there, some of them by agents, (laughs) about who's interested in this job. And a couple of names that keep being mentioned over and over again by multiple sources, Mel Tucker in his second season there as a head man at Michigan State, a former Saban disciple both at LSU and at Alabama. Billy Napier's name has been mentioned right down the road here for the Raging Cajuns. He's also a Saban disciple. And the Lane Train, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, has been mentioned as well. Who do you think the top three guys are right now as we wrap up the month of October heading into November, or in your opinion, for the LSU vacancy? Yeah, yeah. So I, I would I would give out three names. I would certainly say Mel Tucker's right there. Um, I would say James Franklin from Penn State is right there, and there's an interesting little sidebar with him is that he actually just uh, switched agents. He uh, went to CAA, uh, and he actually hired the same agent that uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher has, and, and Scott Woodward was the one that hired Jimbo Fisher and I guess worked through Fisher's agent, and it's the same agent that uh, James Franklin just hired. So I think that's certainly something you got to look at. Um, I think certainly Franklin is going to be right there in the mix. And I, and I, would, say, sir, I, would, I would say Billy Napier. I, I, there's a lot of momentum gaining on Billy Napier right now, um, and, and I, I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised uh, to see any of those three guys get the job. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I think Woodward's going to go big game fishing. He's going to make a call to Dabo. He's going to make a call to Lane Kiffin. He's going to, you know, uh, maybe make a call out there to, to the dude in Tuscaloosa. Who, who knows? I mean, he, he might as well make the call, right? It doesn't hurt in making a call. So And they're friends. Uh, think, and they're friends. So, yeah. he, you know, you can, he, you can jokingly ask him if he's interested and then ask him about the other guys that he's had on his staff yeah. that could be good fits. So, you know, yeah, you got to make that phone Absolutely. call. Yeah, absolutely. You got to make the phone call, and I think there'll be a phone call made to Kiffin. Of course, you know, I would, uh, I, I would, I, I would expect Kiffin to probably stay at Ole Miss. That's just kind of my gut feeling. Um, I'm not, I'm not so sure he, he's looking to come to LSU, but um, you know, I think certainly a, a top three of Napier, Franklin, and Tucker is a good place to start. Um, you know, obviously the the one the one caveat with Napier is, oh, he's not a big enough fish. He hasn't done it for long enough. Uh, I, I think that's you know totally you know a, a wrong way of thinking. I think he's built a, a really consistent program in a in a conference that's hard to have consistent winning. And I think he's the kind of guy that you would want you know to kind of build up a top end program. Uh, you know he's, he's certainly somebody that seems like he can find diamond in the rough uh, type players. You, know, you look at Elijah Mitchell, you know right now who's who's pairing it up with uh, the 49ers. Uh, they, they, they've done a great job of, of finding that low-end talent, developing and building a sustainable winner over there in Lafayette. And I think uh, that that would certainly be the kind of guy I was looking for if I were Scott Woodward. And so 
Uh, I, I do think there's going to be a lot of, you know, there's going to be a wide net cast over the next month or so. Um, but, but I think certainly those three guys are names you're hearing more and more of uh, over the last week or so. How quickly do you believe Scott Woodward is going to hire the next head football coach at LSU after the season is completed? Yeah, I think you have to do it rather soon. And, and this is why I was actually having this conversation yesterday with somebody that, you know, say this team does become bowl eligible at 6-6, six and six, you know, at the very end of de- or November, early part of December. Do you even want to go to a bowl game um, and, and, and kind of continue this kind of, you know, rag- raggedy season? Or do you want to, you know, cut the cord, make your coaching higher as soon as possible, and make some of your coaching decisions as soon as possible um, for, for early signing period later in December? Um, I think that's probably the avenue that I would guess they're going to try to lean towards. Um, I don't think LSU will be playing a bowl game this year. I'd be surprised if they did. Uh, just because, you know, if you get, you know, you, you spend the next month or so really interviewing candidates and, and getting a good grasp of what uh, you're looking for in your next coach and you have that kind of decision in place, you might want to just do that early as possible. So, you know, you can get in on recruiting early. You can see, just kind of get a feel for what recruits are thinking in terms of uh, what what they like about this, this, this hire. Um, I think you have to do this thing as soon as possible. I'd be surprised if it dragged on into January, February. Um, but, you know, I, I do think it's going to be something that, that comes together really quickly because it sounds like there's already a pool of candidates out there that they're going to want to talk to. Bud, appreciate your time as always. Uh, covering the LSU Tigers, um, you've done it for a while now in college and afterwards. It's been wildly entertaining, Bud. It's, it never slows down, and uh, I'm glad you're part of it, my friend. Yeah, ain't that the truth? And that, 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 man, that I don't think you could have seen it said it any better than that. And I, it's been a joy, you know, getting to know some of you guys in the media, and and, and you know, I, I've really enjoyed my first couple of years on the beat, and hopefully it's. Uh, just the beginning, so I'm I'm hoping to you know stick around for a little bit. But yeah, it's been uh, great getting to know you guys, and uh, I'm I'm really glad you had me on. I really appreciate it, Raymond. Tell the people uh, where they can follow you on social media and where they can read all your work, Glenn. Yeah, so you guys can follow us at si.com/slash/college/slash/lsu, uh, LSU country. You know, we've got a we we've got a lot of content coming out. You know, obviously there's a lot going on right now in Baton Rouge. You can follow me. Uh, over at Glen West 21. Um, uh, obviously, uh, it's just been a whirlwind of the last couple of weeks, and it's going to only get even worse uh, or, or even better, I guess you could say. <laughs> That's right. Over be positive. Week. Be glass half full, yeah, guy, be Glenn. Positive. Be glass half full, bud. Yeah. <laughs> glass half full, exactly. Yeah, it's going to get great here over the next couple of weeks, and it's going to be lots of information, lots of lots of rumors, lots of, uh, lots of interviews, lots of playing, obviously. we got football and uh, basketball season coming up here. Fall baseball is close, coming to a close. So uh, it's going to be really lo- a lot of fun and a lot of entertaining stuff, I think, coming out of Baton Rouge. Glenn, keep up the great work, brother. Thank you so much for making the time. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you. That's Glenn West. Covers the LSU Tigers for Sports Illustrated. You can give him a follow at West 21 on Twitter. Great stuff there with Glenn. Candid conversation. Look, A lot of things had to go wrong for LSU to get to this point. It just wasn't one thing. It was a combination of things. And now Scott Woodward has an opportunity to right the ship and get things back on track for the Tigers. Will he do it? 
we'll have to wait and see. That's going to do it for this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. Look, if you want to catch up on any past episodes, they're all archived. Just simply go to 1037thegame.com, click on the Rap Game Podcast tab, and there they will all be in their glorious nature for you to listen to while you're at work or at school or just have some downtime during your lunch break. Appreciate you listening. And until next time, y'all be safe out there, be kind to one another, and I'll talk to you soon.